the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. And we have, as always, lots coming up in this hour. Two guests, one very special guest who's here with us already. But um, before I start talking to our guest, Stacey Edgar, who is also a former social worker, uh, I want to remind you, and I was going to tell you last week but forgot, that uh, we started a new show called The Social Workers. Um, I was just chatting to, with Stacy about that earlier. Uh, the Social Workers is a one-hour radio talk show. It's host, hosted and produced by the School of Social Welfare here in New York, uh, Thursdays 9 to 10 on WCDB 90.90 FM, and you can go to WCDBFM.org to get it on the net. Uh, this particular show, The Social Workers, was conceived as a, a unique opportunity for social work students for us to expose them to media opportunities so that they can host the show, produce the show, and prep the show with a professional broadcaster, which is I, and we get all kinds of guests, similar guests as to who we have on this show. So I just wanted to mention that we've had uh, Nora Yates, the executive director of the Pride Center of the Capital District, Ellen Kahn, director of the Human Rights Campaign, uh, and a whole slew of guests. Tomorrow we're going to have the president's sister on the show, who's written a new book called Ladder to the Moon. Just recently there was an article in the New York Times, I think it was yesterday, about her book, and it's all about her relationship with her daughter, her mother, and her grandmother. But uh, right now we have Stacey Edgar. I'm really excited about her because she is a former social worker. She is the author of Global Girlfriends. Uh, she was a stay-at-home mom, which many of us were, uh, or who still are. But in 2003, she took her tax return, I think it was $2,000, and used it to change the world by creating Global Girlfriends. Uh, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Stacey. Thanks so much for having me, Catherine. Yeah, it's an exciting story. It's one that kind of maybe all social workers dream about. You know, I can do good good work here and around the world, and then I can still uh, generate some income from it. So, um, talk I think to that's us. Very true. Yeah. <laughs> so, as a social worker and as a stay-at-home mom, what made you decide to take your two thousand dollar tax return and use it to change the world? Well, as you know, being an MSW, we get the chance to see what opportunities um, really can do for people. You know, so often when, we, when I was a social worker and I got a client, the first thing I did was look at, you know, not what's their problem necessarily, but, but what are the resources they need? What are the opportunities that would get them from place A where they were to place B? And so my mother-in-law... Um, my, my father-in-law was in Illinois state government, and when he left office, my mother-in-law was asked to be on a board of the United Nations World Food Program. And so she traveled to these places where the food program was giving food assistance, and there was always 
a women's enterprise project associated with the NGO where the food assistance was being given. So she brought me back these great souvenirs, necklaces, scarves, really beautiful things made by talented women who, again, didn't have a market opportunity. They were sitting out in the sun hoping that some aid workers would come by and buy their goods. So we kind of talked for three or four years, how could you get something started? How could you really make a difference for these women? And as a social worker, I had worked with some welfare-to-work projects and work opportunity projects in the States as well, actually placing women in those organizations. And so I thought the combination of starting with a few of the, the organizations I'd worked with in the U.S. and then a few of the women's groups she had met in Africa and India, um, we just have kind of a big home party as an awareness event, not necessarily as a business. But we sold out of almost everything we had in the first night, and people said, please come to my house. Please come to my house. I would like to have my girlfriends help your girlfriends. And that's really how the business got started. You know, as I'm listening to your story, I'm thinking, and you're describing your background in MSW as a social worker, but you also, there's some, another piece there. You're a businesswoman. You had this, you know, you were able to tie all of this together. Uh, you talk, you know, and, and I guess I'm really interested in how you did that. I mean, it sounds simple when you describe it. You know, here we had the party, with, you know, it wasn't we were going to not necessarily <laughs> sell a lot of stuff, but oh my gosh, we did. But, you know, what's, you know. Well, and it, it, it's not simple, but on the other hand, it is. I think, you know, again, I was actually asked by the business school at the University of Illinois where I went and got my MSW recently about um, my coursework and, and how my coursework in social work prepared me to have a business. And I really feel like social workers are some of the best at using their resources, right? We take the little we have and we figure out how to stretch it and make it work. So to me, um, investing small amounts of money, which is what I had to begin with, $2,000 that you know my husband and I got from our 2002 tax refund, how could I get enough product, enough variation that would interest women um, in the product? But then, you know, really taking that to the next step and helping to teach the women we started to work with, how do you make sure that your product is marketable? How do you get the most out of your opportunity? Um, and it's really taken off from there. I think the reason I started a business instead of a nonprofit, because a lot of people have asked me, hey, from a social work background, why wouldn't you start a nonprofit versus a business? I, I think good business begats good business. So if my intention was to help these women really start their own small businesses that were profitable and found more customers than just Global Girlfriend, I needed to run a business that helped them to do that. I needed to um, ask them to make marketable products to improve their quality assurance um, so that when those products reached their customers, people were happy with them. They were consistent. The products didn't fall apart. Um, so I, I really think starting as a social worker with very limited resources and figuring out how to get the most out of those is what helped me most in growing my business. So your social work background, being clever about what what little resources you had <laughs> and putting them to good use, I think that's true. That's definitely true about social workers. But Global Girlfriend, the company, okay, what do you, let's talk about specifically, because what do you market 
sure. to market well, to. Where do we, you get all of the, you know, your, um, well, it's accessories and jewelry. Uh, you know, tell us specifically what the, how the company operates. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we now work with about 60 different women's nonprofits, women's small businesses, and women's cooperatives around the world in 21 different countries, including some groups here in the United States. Um, and the way we work is we, we start with a group and we look at what their talents are. So if they're great at crocheting or they're great at beading jewelry, we take a look at at what they can do, and then we help provide them with designs that we think will sell in the U.S. market. We sell all women's accessories, women's apparel, and women's gifts. So, um, are these all? I'm going to interrupt for a minute. Are these, of course, they see these all third world countries. They're all developing world countries, yeah. and also the United States. In the United States, we work with women's nonprofits that um, are welfare to work prop projects or projects within women's homeless shelters, and the rest are developing world countries. Um, but, yeah, we sell girly, girly accessories, um, and the way we work with our groups is we provide them with the designs, then they make samples, and at the time we place our order, we work in a fair trade model. We pay them a 50% microloan up front so that we never want women putting out their own money for our beads or for our fabric. So we give them the, the money up front for the materials, and then when they complete the order, we pay them the other 50%, and we pay all the shipping and duties. So people often say to me, oh, how much of the money goes back to the women? The women are paid 100% up front on their products. If we never sell one, you know, it's on us, not on them. <laughs> um, and then we mark it up one time, which in our business strategy pays for our staff salaries, our catalog, our website. Um, and then we also have a wholesale business in which we sell to Whole Foods around the country, Target.com, and about a 1,000 different boutiques around the United States. So who, I have two questions here. You said yeah. you, know, you design the products and then you present the design to the, the, the women and then they make whatever the product is with that design. Let's take an example. How do you do this? You go into um, a country like Uganda, because I know that's one of the countries yes. that you go to where the, the women de, uh, design the jewelry and the accessories. And uh, What kind of resistance do you get? What, you know, what's the process to going into Uganda and gathering these women and what do they think of you and what kind of, I guess, how much resistance do you get either, even from the women themselves? None. I mean, <laughs> what's great is, is it's really a partnership. Again, we take the, the groups of women that we reach out to usually have found us in some way and contacted us or have been connected to us through a Peace Corps worker or another nonprofit agency that says, oh, my gosh, we've got this great group of women. So it's not like I'm going out and gathering a bunch of seamstresses and putting together the cooperative. The cooperative is usually a group of women, and they're looking for an opportunity. So when we meet, we, we look at, you know, okay, what's, what's the things that you make, and then how can we make sure that we believe they're saleable in the U.S.? and strike up this partnership. So there's a lot of collaboration. I think sometimes they do think we're crazy in <laughs> that they want this crazy bright color scheme, and we're like, no, 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 you know, brown will be fine. Brown is good. Um, 
So there is a little bit like, oh, you people in America, what do you mean you don't want the big bag? Or what do you mean you don't want the crazy pattern? Um, but it, in general, it's so collaborative, and they'll send us their ideas. We will send them back our designs, and, and it, it can take six months to come to a final product sometimes, but and sometimes it can take one day. You know, it, it's quick, but... They're, they're wonderful. And what's really fun, I have a fabulous picture of all the women actually in uh, Uganda up in Gulu the, sitting around the computer looking at their products online and just what a sense of pride that is for them that, you know, here they are thinking the world doesn't know about them and there's their picture, their goods, and it's going out to women all across the U.S. Yeah, I, I think that's, I mean, obviously the power of the Internet. And you think about it, how things were done before, it, doing the same kind of thing 20 years ago. If they marketed the, you marketed the products, they'd never, it, it, that would be the end of it. You know, it would be, they would Absolutely. never Absolutely, and they're very involved in looking at when their product sells out on our website. When they see it pop off the website, they know it's sold out. And I get emails saying, you need more. I know you sold out of that. <laughs> That and well, of course, we have. I want to ask you this question because you know we're talking about the women, but what about the the daughters of these women? I mean, the kind of legacy that you're providing for you know the the, the daughters and the granddaughters of the women who are doing this, who are doing you know involved in this in this project. Well, and for me, I think that is one of the most amazing parts, and it's really what the women are providing as a legacy for their daughters. First of all. Through their tenaciousness, they have made this opportunity. I would never find most of these groups if they weren't already organizing themselves and reaching out for opportunities. So in that way, they're really providing those, those first role models for their daughters in being proactive. And then second, just the fact that they're making an income. I mean, 900 million women in the world live on less than a dollar a day, meaning they get their kids by on less than a dollar a day, and they don't have access to clean water, to electricity, to sanitation. I have seen these women's lives change. For example, in Congo, we work with a group of six handicapped women in Goma, and with our most recent order, which was about $12,000 worth of skirts and dresses and tote bags, not an enormous order, they were able to buy land and they were able to buy the materials to build small houses and have their families come move to this land that's safer than some of the other places where their families were living because, as you know, Congo is a war zone still to this day. And um, so just to see that sort of really impactful difference. Also, so one, we're going to take a break before you sure. continue, but it's sort of like one good deed begats another and it just goes on and on um we're gonna we just have to take a couple minute break but we will be back in a minute don't go away author of global girlfriends stacy edgar is with us today i'm katherine zox your social worker with a microphone we'll be back in a minute be sure to friend us on facebook you can do it right now Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. 
you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and the Growth Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is formerly stay-at-home mom, Stacy Edgar. Uh, author of Global Girlfriends and started a company, Global Girlfriends, where she, if you're just joining us, her story is she took $2,000 in a tax return and used it to change the world by creating this company, Global Girlfriends, uh, which is uh, worldwide, helps women worldwide rise out of poverty by providing a market for their, and this is what we've been talking about, handmade, eco-friendly, fairly traded goods. Um, so such important work, and uh, and as we say, a former social worker. So, um, Stacy, before we took the break, you were talking. We were actually you began to talk about how creating jobs for these women just influences every sphere of their lives in these developing countries in terms of education. Um, I guess yeah, it even helps prevent prostitution. I have uh, all of those kinds of things. Um, so let's talk about some of the ramifications of, of providing work for Absolutely. these women. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and especially, you know, I'd love to share the story of uh, an organization in Calcutta or Kolkata, India, uh, FreeSet, which does just what you said, sets women free from prostitution. I was just in India in January visiting FreeSet, and it was Absolutely amazing. A couple named Carrie and Annie Hilton had the inspiration to, to do something in the world. Then they didn't really know what. They were from New Zealand and they had four children and they decided to move to Calcutta. Just had never been there. They just decided that was their calling. Um, and they rented a, a flat sight unseen and then woke up two days later to realize they were one block from Asia's largest red light district, Sanagachi. Mm-hmm. If any of you have seen Born into Brothels, that's where Born into Brothels was filmed. Um, so they immediately knew that their mission was to work with 
these women, but they weren't sure how. There's about 10,000 women in a 10-block area. Most of them have been trafficked as young girls from India, Bangladesh, and Nepal, and held in slavery, basically, by brothel owners. And so they decided no amount of donations were going to help fix this problem, but a sustainable income, a way to escape the trade would. So they started free set bags and apparel, and it has been about 10 years now, and the, the organization has grown to employ about 250 women. But when we walked the streets of Sanagachi at night, what amazed me is we were holding hands with a woman named Mina who was trafficked herself at the age of 13 and escaped, was married, and is now about 55. She walks the streets every night telling women how they can come to free set, how they can be set free. And all of these women, despite their desperate situation, approached us, hugged us, said, please, I want to come work for you. I want to escape. How can I escape? And they had dreams for themselves. And that was so impactful to me that despite the harshest of situations, women still have aspirations and they still want a better life for themselves and their children. And But given that, Stacey, I keep thinking about what are the men, what's the response of the, of, of the men? I mean, what's the response of, of husbands, of, of uh, you know, obviously the businesses that are involved in the trafficking of women. I mean, what are the repercussions to that? Well, as far as, as trafficking goes, it, it's such a different group that we work with. In most cases where we work with women's cooperatives that are not traffic, you know, not involving trafficking, husbands, sons, everyone wants to be helpful, involved. They're so proud of their wife's income. They're so excited about what it means to their family, and when women control that income, they make some really fantastic choices for their family. They send their kids to school with their income. They buy more nutritious food. Um, in the instance of trafficking, most of these women are unmarried women, um, and definitely the Hiltons and everyone at Freeset puts themselves in danger by doing this work walking the streets, recruiting women to free set at night in the red light district was very, it was the most frightening thing I have ever done because we weren't wanted there and, and certainly brothel owners and, and people who look to keep these women enslaved do not want this message out there. You, trafficking is big business. Prostitution is big business and the women are the victims. Um, so there's a lot of resistance, but it's a strong organization, and they're willing to take those risks. That's, I mean, exciting work, and, and as you say, and very dangerous. I, I mean, I have a sense of it. I lived in Latin America for uh, almost a year. and um, But just getting back to the, you're talking about the cooperatives where the men and the husbands and the sons are, are excited and happy, you know, to get the monies and their, their but I still, you know, in some of these um, situations where they're kind of where they are patriarchal societies, I mean, you're changing the whole dynamics of the family. So I, I question how that works because when when you empower women, which uh, you know, then do the men feel like that they have less power, or because some of that has to be. Yes, and if you've lived there. in in Latin America, I, I mean, I think. It depends on the culture. I see a lot of differences in different countries that we work in. Um, I would definitely say in some places in Latin America, there is 
a little more resistance or there can be more tension that comes up when suddenly there's a power shift and women are maybe out earning their husbands and they're, they're wanting control of that money. What's been great is the introduction of microcredit in some of these areas, like in Guatemala. Microcredit has now been in place for over 20 years and focused really on women. And so women have become more powerful in claiming their right to, to earn a living and to control their money. In fact, I was visiting one of the groups we work with, which uh, Friendship Bridge is the microcredit organization, and what grew out of that is a small women's cooperative called La Comunidad. But I was visiting a, a group of borrowers in Guatemala, and what I loved was they were doing a, kind of a flower petal exercise as a group where each of them put a right and then they put it together as a flower. I have the right to earn money. I have the right to see a doctor. I have the right to make decisions with my husband. I have the right to send my children to school. And so that collectiveness of women, too, they become a resource for each other. If husbands don't like it, they have got a, a, a power center to go to. They've got a whole group of women in their community who back them up. And I think having a group versus an individual women really empowers them. Yeah, not working in isolation, not working in isolation. No. You have to have support. I mean, support to do the work, but that emotional support. <clears throat> and I suppose you have the grant, you have generations, three generations, sometimes even four generations of women, grandmother, mother, Absolutely. daughter. And granddaughter sometimes. Absolutely, we do. And, um, you know, that's what's really neat. And especially like in Guatemala, I can remember being at several borrowers meetings where women were wanting their, their daughters who were graduating high school to get involved in the business, get involved in a loan, or, you know, earn more money so that they could hopefully send those daughters to college. But they had all gone through high school. And that's another thing that we do. We try and look at what are the other things that just buying products alone won't do for our groups. And we have a whole program called Gifts That Give More, where we also do give back donations um, provided by our customers, and we also give a dollar of each product sold on globalgirlfriend.com to CampFed, which is the Campaign for Women's Education in Africa. So we do have a charitable component as well as strictly a fair trade business model. So is that charitable? charitable component. Is that a foundation? Uh, it's through a foundation called greatergood.org. We give um, grants and donations for specific if we're raising money for bicycles for women in Uganda to get to work, then if you give money for a bicycle, we guarantee that that's where that money goes through our nonprofit partner that we partner with for those funds. So you get, you're giving them, so you can give money for, well, okay, specific tools or, as you say, like bicycles or whatever they need. Um, talk to us about the, you just started, uh, before we took the break, talking about women with disabilities, and we didn't really get into that, but I'm curious as to how that works um, and, and how you're able to, to help those women. Well, and, and a lot of times, you know, that's a group of women in the United States, anywhere you are in the world, having a disability can hinder your opportunities for jobs. In the United States, we've got great laws and, and great acceptance of, of people and their strengths. 
in other countries, I wouldn't say that that is the case, and often people with disabilities are really um, still today shunned, not given opportunities. So we look to work with women um, who need opportunities. And so this group that we work with in Congo is all women who have polio or were polio victims as children. Most of them have had surgeries. Most of them wear very heavy leg braces. And as you can imagine, in a war-torn area, they're some of the most vulnerable and most in danger. So giving them an income, finding a way for them to live in safer areas is is a really important piece of their safety and, and their progress. So, Stacy, can you give us an example? Like one of the stories that, that I mean, I'm sure you you have so many stories, obviously, <clears throat> but um, one that we can relate to that maybe touched you. I, I don't even want to say this more than others because I imagine each story is different. But um, just an, a, a family story, an in, of, of a you know an individual. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, one of my dearest, closest, closest friends. She has become. Her name is Josephine Karamini of Kenya, and Josephine uh, lives in a slum called the Dandora Slums, which is the second largest slum in Nairobi, the capital of Kenya. Um, She and a couple of her friends really wanted to, they needed to earn an income, and they wanted to start a craft business. They all three made crafts, and they had about 30 other friends who really were interested in trying to start a craft business from a market stall in their slum, but they had no capital. It wasn't like they could go to the family kitty and borrow the $2,000 tax return. So these three friends cooked up a plan and started cleaning offices and cleaning homes until they could afford one sewing machine and a market stall in their, you know, which is kind of a 10 by 10 metal shed in their neighborhood. And they worked to kind of get a local business. They went to hotels. They went to different gift shops, and they got a small local business going. And then in 2007, when Kenya had horrible election violence break out, their market stall was burned. All their products were burned. They lost everything. One of their 30 women friends that was working with them was shot and killed. But instead of quitting, they had seen the potential difference it could make in their lives. They had started to see, to see some sales, and uh, they started cleaning offices again. They started cleaning homes again until they could afford another sewing machine, another computer, and they reached out to us, and we brought in their products, and I've been to visit. It has made an enormous difference. But interestingly, when I, when I visited, I always try and take some gifts, and one of the gifts I brought was several packs of pencils. These 30 women sat and divided up each pack so that equally everyone took just the same amount of pencils home to their children. Um, So the smallest bit of help really makes a difference. You know, I've had women say to me, gosh, all I'm doing is buying a skirt from you. Well, your skirt might pay Josephine's daughter's $14 school admission fee. And if she didn't have that $14 from the sale of the skirt to you, she couldn't send her kids to school. That's how low some of their costs are, but how unreachable they can be. I, I, we'll take a break now, but I, I want to sort of um, 
I want to get into that with you because what can we do? You know, how do we make a difference? I mean, listen to what you're doing and the difference you're making globally with women and their lives and their families. Um, you know, how can we get connected? How can my listeners get connected? Or social workers. Um, Stacey Edgar, and she's the author of Global Girlfriends and Global Girlfriends uh, a Company. Um, we'll be back in a minute. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone on VoiceAmericaVariety.com, and it's The Catherine Zox Show. Uh, we're talking to Stacey Edgar, the founder of Global Girlfriends, a company that markets in case you're just joining us, we missed a lot. <laughs> Handcrafted apparel, accessories, and jewelry and started her venture in 2003 with a $2,000 tax refund. Um, Stacey, we, I really want to know what we can do. I mean, I've listened to all of what you, you have done creating this business worldwide uh, for, for women around the world, developing countries, living in poverty. Um, you have a website. Also, we want to mention the website. Is it globalgirlfriends.com or .org? Globalgirlfriend.com. It's confusing because the company uh, yeah. is Global Girlfriend and the book is Global Girlfriends. Oh, and I have been confused. I have been mixing it up, so I'm glad that you mentioned that. Okay, so, all right, so the website is, repeat that again. It's globalgirlfriend.com. Okay, we can go to the website. So what can we do? How can we get other women, you know, involved in, in uh, well, businesses like yours or ventures like theirs? I mean, you know, how do you, you may be passionate about wanting to do something, but how do you put that into a, a career, a well, viable I, career? I there's a, a couple really important things, and it's part of why I wanted to write 
the book. In fact, it's, it's the ending to my book is kind of five steps on how you can get involved. I think people look at big problems and think, gosh, I, it, that sounds great, but I can't start a, a business or I can't. But I, I don't think you have to start there. I think you can start small with what your passion is. First of all, even shopping for fair trade items uh, makes a huge difference. Like I said, one skirt can send a woman's child to school, and it's that individual connection, one person at a time, making a small difference. So every time you buy a fair trade chocolate bar or a fair trade cup of coffee, you are making a difference. And it's really important in my mind that we don't neglect the small things. One of my absolute heroes, Mother Teresa, once said, we can do no big things in the world, only small things with great love. And we can't neglect the fact that every small act, whether it's just shopping fair trade or giving those used clothes to Salvation Army when they call, it does make a difference. In Haiti, in Latin America, our used clothing ends up as the clothing that is shipped to them. So small things make a difference. But then I think if you want to take the next step, really take a look at what you're passionate about. You know, your passion and my passion might be different, or we might have a different way of executing it. And take a look at your passion and then get started in a small way. How can you pursue that? How can you look into resources or get involved in some way, whether that's volunteering or whether it's starting with, you know, with a small group that perhaps you meet on a trip and you want to market their products. I think there's so much room for more fair trade companies like Global Girlfriend. Like I said, 900 million women live on less than a dollar a day. One company can't even take a bite out of that, but many women getting involved can. That's great advice. Um, and, and I think it's, it's, as you say, I think it's simpler to do than people think because we do. We look at these pr- problems in the world and think, what can I do? I mean, I'm, I'm just one person. It does, and I, we have that mentality sometimes. I, I can't make a difference. There's such overwhelming problems in Latin America and Africa and developing countries and India. Um, you know, I'm just one person. But, you know, as you explain it and you make it sound not easy but doable, but doable, and, and I think that, you know, that's the inspiration we need. I mean, I'm thinking of myself social worker i like to 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 you ask me what how i became a social worker right. how a social worker does radio shows well i just combined as you say my passion for doing theater and being on the air to talking to people getting people like you on the show to talk about these social issues and and getting the word out there so that's one way of doing it in my case and, and that is what's important your your interest, your passion, what you're great at might not be the same as what I'm great at, but look at you bringing these messages of hope, of inspiration, of what different people are doing out to your listeners every day. If you weren't the bridge, that wouldn't happen. And, and that's how I really feel like Global Girlfriend is the bridge from one woman to another woman. You know, I try and think of it as one product, one customer, one woman. Somebody's life has changed. Yeah. Instead of a a bigger problem. (laughs) One woman at a time. One woman at a time. Yeah. So, last question. What about your, and you kind of 
you know, you, you obviously it sounds like you had the support of your husband and, and had support in your life to be able to go out and do all of this. But uh, growing up, any particular things that you kind of, you know, as a child, part of your childhood that sent you in this direction? Well, I, I think I have been blessed. Uh, with two things. First, a harem of ants. <laughs> you know, just a great group of women who have always shown me that women together can do more than anybody can alone. So my mom is one of five kids, only one boy in her family, and my dad also is just one of two, but his his other sibling is a sister. And so I really spent my childhood with a great group of women who always collectively helped one another. And then second, I am from a small business family in a small town. My my family has had a concrete factory in Hinkley, Illinois for over a hundred years. And just seeing that ability to keep something going and be sustainable over time, using your resources in good times and bad was a really good lesson to me and it's something I try and pass on to the women that we work with that, yep, times aren't always good, but here's what you can do to keep going. And um, so those are two really important lessons that I learned from childhood. Yeah, and appropriate ones. I think women do have that staying power even in bad times, even in, a, uh, even in an economy like this. I think we, uh, I, one of my girlfriends once said, we're sort of like the ever-ready bunnies. We just keep <laughs> on going. <laughs> Absolutely. It may not be that exciting all the time, but it's sort of like you just keep on doing it, and it, eventually it gets done. Um, so I think that is that is good advice. I want to uh, global girlfriend global girlfriend dot com. Um, I know you go around and you talk at, to universities and colleges and inspire young women, which is what we want to do, obviously. So. Uh, invite you i'd love to have you on my other show the social workers because that is at one of the biggest universities in the country state university of new york and albany we've got twenty five thousand students i think um so um and you know have, invite you to spread the word and talk to our graduate students msw students social workers who are out there doing the kinds of things you're suggesting um great having you on the show today thanks and and i hope that everyone will Seek out the book, Global Girlfriends, at your local bookstore or Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Okay, so we can get it at bookstores everywhere. Bookstores everywhere, and if they don't have it, ask for it. Yeah. They'll and get it, it for you. Should, Stacey, as you're describing it, it probably should be uh, a, te- you know, a, te- a required text for social workers, undergraduate and graduate students. Well, I have been fortunate in that some universities have been looking at it as a textbook. It actually just came out yesterday. So I, that would be my greatest gift is if students and universities picked it up as, as a textbook and as really a, a starting point on social business and the ability to blend uh, our social efforts and social justice with business concepts. Yeah, and it's all, you know, and, and obviously the whole thing is it's, it's Social work, has, um, it's another show, but has changed, I mean, as you've described, with the Internet. So it includes the whole world. So, exactly. yeah, uh, we'll have to say goodbye, but great talking to you. And Catherine, thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much. Stacey Edgar, the founder of Global Girlfriend. You can go to go- globalgirlfriend.com. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. We have another guest coming up in this hour. 
And uh, it's Susan Shapiro Barris. She's been on the show before. She's an expert on mother and daughter issues, author of You're Grounded Forever, but first let's go shopping. But she's got something else she's going to talk about today. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with the microphone. And it's the Catherine Zox Show you're listening to on VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio. And my next guest is Susan Shapiro Barris. She's been on the show before, so many of you have, have heard her on the Catherine Zox Show. She's an expert on mother and daughter issues. She's also she's author of several books, but one, uh, I think the last one she was on the show for was You're Grounded Forever, but first let's go shopping. She has two daughters of her own, so she really is the expert, but Today, we're going to be talking about uh, this recent, I don't know if you call it a phenomenon, this happened in March, uh, regarding Abercrombie and Fitch, um, the clothing store that all the kids go to. I know my sons used to shop there when they were younger. Um, and apparently, what they've done, and I should let Susan um, explain it to you, they've had advertisements where they were advertising these tiny little bikinis and push-up bikinis, I guess these push-up bra bikinis for girls as young as 12 years old. Is that simply just a matter of bad taste, or is there more far-reaching social implications for this? I'll let Susan well, answer. First of all, it, it, there are social implications, but but it's for little girls from 7 to 14, and it's a push-up bikini top called the Ashley. What and is a push-up bikini? Is that like a push-up bra? It is, except in a bikini top. So it has tremendous implications, actually, because there's such consumerism involved in this, and Abercrombie has been such a sort of flagship for daughters by the time they're seven or eight, that there will be this herd mentality where the 
girls will say as young as seven or eight. It's it's marketed for seven to fourteen year old girls. They will say, "Mom, do seven years." I have to. Susan, what do seven year old? I mean, I have boys, but what do seven year old girls have to push up? Well, that's it. That's it. The whole idea that they feel the need to push up whatever there is, or to kind of fake it, which you know. Remember the old days when you put socks in your bra? I do remember. It's a similar thing. I had these. But the idea here, Catherine, that's so disturbing is that the girls will want want it in a sort of herd mentality. Abercrombie says, therefore we do. And the mothers, and this goes to my study for mothers and daughters, the mothers want to please their daughters. They want their daughters to fit in. They don't want their daughters to be the one who wasn't, you know, I don't want my daughter to be on the outside kind of mentality because socializing is so much a big part, such a big part of our daughters' lives, and because it happens so early in their lives. So, I don't understand the mothers. You're describing the mothers. They want their daughters to fit in. You have a seven-year-old daughter, and you're encouraging her to wear a padded bra. I mean, this is a, a push-up, push-up, a push-up bra. But then at the same time, you know, you, as we, you know, you, you're sexualizing these girls uh, unnecessarily, I think, obviously. Uh, and at the same time, the mothers, are, isn't there a dual message? But you're not supposed, there's always that you're not supposed to, you know, let boys kiss you or let boys touch you or you shouldn't be engaged in any sexual activity at age seven. And right, and at the same time, who are we really pandering to? Although, at the, and then, you know, that brings... Another study I've done actually on female friendship, our daughters so early in their lives want to belong to the right crowd with girls, want to be accepted, want to have these really intimate relationships with with other girls where, you know, you feel really understood and socially accepted. So then you say to yourself, are they doing it just because the other girls do it and, you know, you want to fit in with the crowd? And then maybe by the age of 11 or 12, even though that's so frightening, really, to catch the eye of the opposite sex. But all around, 11 and 12 is too early, too. I mean, where's the childhood? Where's the innocence? But, Susan, who's re- I'm trying to get a hold on, like, whose responsibility is it? What are these, where are these mothers coming from? Uh, is it the mother's responsibility? Is it the company's responsibility, like Abercrombie or other companies, not necessarily just them? I mean, I see all these sexy things. You know, when I'm in the city and, and mm-hmm. shops for young kids, um, what, who, who takes responsibility for all of this? Isn't it the parent? I mean, it is the mother's responsibility. But what I found in my study that, and one reason I actually wrote, and one reason I actually wrote the book is because mothers today don't have enough voice. They feel surprisingly powerless. I think that's very concerning, the idea that in order to please your daughter, you say yes when you mean no. And a good example of this would be a mother who would say, gee, I'm really against my nine-year-old daughter buying this Ashley bikini by Abercrombie. On the other hand, already seven of her friends have it. She's distraught. She's begging me every night. And so the mother feels, I have to pick and choose my battles. Ah, this isn't such a big battle. But it ends up snowballing. It really is a problem. And in terms of what other influences, well, we all know that celebrity culture and media messaging is so huge for all of us. And our, the young people today are very suggestible. And well, so you, raise your, two da- you raise two daughters. Your, your family, because I'm going to take a look at you because I raised sons. So mm-hmm. you raised two daughters. And a son. So I can oh, only and a son. Okay. <laughs> in the you middle. Comparison, but I'm thinking about your girls. 
are what you know where do I mean I'm sure that you talk to them about this where do they come in on these issues I don't know if they have children of their own but. no but they, but one of them just finished college and one is actually getting married next month and in the seven years difference in their age I noticed myself which is one reason I wanted to research this that that the whole climate the cultural messaging had so changed that my daughter felt so my younger daughter was dressing in a vampy way much more much earlier in her life and much more vivid in in her style and with a sense of entitlement that I didn't see in my older daughter because she actually grew up seven years apart is a big time difference. She was much more kind of J. Crew all the way through in the gap. But my but my younger daughter and I remember her father saying to me, I won't allow it. And so I said, okay, then we'll make her into a liar. She'll leave in her sweat clothes and she'll, in her book bag on the, on Friday or Saturday night will be the clothes that she'll change to. Because our daughters, Catherine, are so influenced beyond our reach and that's what's so disturbing. So what's going to happen? Let's say that you, you know, your husband said, you know, there's no way. They're not going to go out of the house wearing, you know, whatever, you know, these vampy, those vampy clothes or makeup or what, you know, whatever it was. What hap- What would be the consequences of you as a mother to say, you know what, in agreeing with him, um, you you just simply can't do it? I mean, what would happen? What are the consequences? I think that that for me in particular, and and I spoke with hundreds of women about this. I mean, I interviewed one woman who had a six-year-old daughter who wanted her hair keratin straightened. I interviewed one woman whose daughter at about the same age wanted a pair of sneakers, and when the mother bought the wrong ones, the daughter was mortified and fell apart, crying, everyone will laugh at me, you didn't get the right pair. So I think that you're up against so much that you end up making excuses. You say, ah, okay, so let her have the sneakers, let her wear the clothes. Let me sort of close my eyes when she leaves here in sweat clothes and ends up, you know, changing in her friend's house. Because we really don't want our daughters to be disenfranchised. You know, mothers kept saying to me, I remember what it was like to be 12, 10, 20, 24. And so we really give mixed messages. And the problem is, is, and I admit, you know, I'm as guilty as the next. I'll never forget my daughter who's getting married. When she was 16, she told me she wanted a certain kind of pocketbook. I was so naive. This was years ago. I said, fine, sure. We go to the store, and she wanted a Kate Spade bag. This was my, you know, entrance, and, you know, this was my way of beginning the whole story of sort of materialism and daughters. And I said, I looked at the price, and I said, Jenny, are you kidding? But when I interviewed women all across the country, Catherine, of all different ethnicity, ages, social strata, daughters 3 to 35, they kept saying to me, my daughter wants a certain book bag. My daughter wants a certain pair of boots. My, who am I to say no, even if I go without, because my, my daughter means so much to me. And I think that no one really has enough power. So my question is, in sort of ending up this our discussion, what do, you've interviewed all of these women. Um, it seems that, as you say, across the board, demographics, it doesn't seem to make any difference. Uh, people who are, you know, wealthy, not wealthy, education, they all want to just, they feel compelled, I guess, to help their daughters fit in no matter what it is, whether you're seven and wearing a padded bra. Or, <laughs> right, what, yeah. So the, where do really you draw, I mean, them. what would you suggest for, like, I mean, we're lowering the bar. It gets lower and lower, right. or higher and higher, whichever way you're looking at it. Well, what I suggest in the book is to pick and choose your battles and to be a little bit more honest with yourself 
to have more courage to not just say what's happening with my daughter, but what's happening with me as a mother. And why don't I have the guts to say, I'm sorry, this isn't our value system. And you might be sorry to, you know, you might be unhappy today, but I cannot abide that. And this how is- about replacing it with some something else, something else that's positive? I might not buy you this padded bra, but I'm going to go out and we're going to learn how to ride a horse. We can go buy books, right? Yeah, or, well, yeah, that or we'll do works. something or how about looking at your daughter's individuality and her strength instead of her always having to belong to the crowd because no one has an original idea. We're told by Abercrombie, therefore we think we should do it, therefore we say to our moms, let's have it. And the girls are informed in ways, you know, we can't even, couldn't even imagine growing up, right, through the Internet. So, in fact, to say not only to your daughter, what could we do instead, but how about if your daughter's really a, a a great gymnast or she's very brainy and loves the chess club to say, let's focus on this instead. Yep. Let's, I, let's not be so caught up in, in such superficial. And stuff. I think that's the answer. And I think probably, and we have to say we, we have 30 seconds left, but I think that is the answer, Susan. And I think that that takes time, that takes energy, that takes focus. And maybe a lot of the young mothers today don't have that time or feel that they don't have that time because they're working and they themselves, I think there's a certain narcissistic quality about them. Anyway, great having you on the show. Thank as you always. so much and talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Susan Shapiro Barish, uh, author of Your Grounded Forever, but first let's go shopping. I'm Catherine Zock, your social worker with the microphone. You've been listening to the Catherine Zock Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Have a great week and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.